Hey, hey, hey. It's another episode of Scholar Tea, where we are two scholars giving you the tea. I am Cameron Carl. And I'm Shauna. We are excited to be back with you with another episode with that jump off. So Shauna, we're going to start with that temperature check. If your mood were a piece of jewelry, what would it be and why? Baby, I'm an iced out necklace. Fake or real? What? Oh, real. Oh, <laughs> I don't do fake anymore. Anymore. Yeah. Fake it, anymore. <laughs> the fakest I'll do are some crystals, but my gems. Oh, that sounds so pretentious, but it's true. I'm feeling very luxe, Come very on, reliable, diamonds dependable. Exactly. Yeah. Or I was going to go diamonds are forever, but like created under pressure and still beautiful. And I'm not saying that it is a healthy way to move around the world to think that, you know, I need to be under pressure to shine. I don't think that's the case, but that's just how I feel. And shine uh, bright like a diamond. <laughs> We've been winning in our office the last two weeks in particular. Um, we've just been performing and surpassing our benchmarks. So definitely feeling like a real, not a fake, iced out necklace. Okay, okay, okay. Well, on today, I am an anklet on a swollen ankle and yet holding on. Shauna, it is the end of the semester. I'm not sure when we're dropping this episode, but it's all the things end of the semester for me and I am yet holding on like them little anklets be on them swollen <laughs> ankles okay but not in the sizest way uh no because you know I'm very I am very thin and mm -hmm. my ankles do swell mm -hmm. and I be trying to put on a little like so I, I got into this anklet thing last summer and I really mm -hmm. like the look of it like with a swimsuit and then like you're in the pool and you get out and you got your little anklet so yes, that's that is my mood today. Get that is jewelry. What's your favorite anklet? Because I've actually been looking at some lately. Last year I got these cheap anklets, but they were like thirty in the pack. So one has shells on them. One will have a peace sign. But my favorite one is the infinity sign, um, mm -hmm. and like a gold anklet with the infinity sign. That's my favorite anklet. It sounds real if you're getting in the water. It lasts, honey. It lasts. Okay. Yet holding on. <laughs> so. Let's do a rundown. So on this episode, we are going to highlight our scholar of the week, who is Dr. Yolanda Seely Ruiz. Uh, we're going to spill some tea. There's a lot going on with this AI and these academic streets. So let's talk about it. We are going to have a wonderful interview with one of my dear, dear friends, one of my best friends in life and in the academy, Dr. Chris Salinas. Excited for you to hear from him. We are going to talk about what's problematic. There's some imposters, honey, in the academy. And we're going to talk about which ones. John is coming with them jokes, jokes, jokes of the week. And we have some affirmations to leave you with. So this week's Scholar of the Week is Dr. Yolanda Sealy Ruiz. She is an award-winning associate professor at Teachers College, Columbia University. Her research focuses on racial literacy in teacher education and Black and Latinx male high school students. A sought-after speaker on issues of race, culturally responsive pedagogy, and diversity, Celie Ruiz works with K-12 and higher education school communities to increase their racial literacy knowledge and move toward more equitable school experiences for their Black and Latinx students. Silly Ruiz appeared in Spike Lee's Two Fists Up, 
We Gonna Be All Right, a documentary about the Black Lives Matter movement and the campus protests at Mizzou. She recently co-authored a book with Dr. Detra Price Dennis, Advancing Racial Literacies in Teacher Education Toward Activism for Equity in Digital Spaces. Please, please, please give the flowers that are well-deserved to Dr. Yolanda Silly Ruiz if you get a chance. And Shana, full disclosure, Dr. Yolanda is like my academic crush. I think she's oh, yeah? brilliant. Um, I use so she has a racial literacy framework for teacher um, for teacher education, and I use her framework for my keynote address that I did last December at the Leadership Educators Institute. And what I love about the framework is we talk a lot about critical hope, but she starts the framework with critical love. And we as educators coming from a place of critical love of all communities, and it seems really simple, but the way that she frames it, it was like, how do we really think about doing anti-racism work in a critical perspective? And what does that look like from coming from a place of critical love? And I just think she's quite brilliant. What I think about this week and highlighting her is that who she is as a person is who she is in her work. Mm -hmm. And I love, I love that she is a phenomenal woman, truly authentic, very caring. And so I'm glad to, Child, I'm glad to love, hear things like that. Don't you yes. love when the scholar and the person are congruent? Don't you just Alignment. Love <laughs> I love it. Yes. And she, I will say she's one of those folks. So just genuine, doesn't suck all the air up out the room and still is shining like in the middle of a crowded space. So love her. And I'm glad that we're honoring her this week. Absolutely. So Shauna, let's spill some tea. Because what is, and I think it's going to be happening in conversation for for months to come, if not years, is what's happening with the rise of AI, artificial intelligence in academia specifically. Um, So recently, Inside Higher Ed columnists Barbara Pfister and Allison J. Head pointed out how we should consider the response that we did years ago to Wikipedia and think about being more strategic at how we're going to approach AI and things like chat GPT. If you remember, Shauna, professors and librarians were in an uproar uh, when Wikipedia first dropped in 2001. Ain't that crazy? 20 years ago? Well, with Wikipedia, there was a flurry of soul-searching discussions and debates around campuses about what it means to be accurate, what it means to cite sources in a digital age, and what it meant to have communal um, opportunities for for referencing and 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 being source makers. Many faculty members banned the use of Wikipedia. Librarians warned students to turn to vetted authoritative sources on library shelves rather than popular websites. Some instructors even banned the use of articles um, and demonstrated how falsehoods would pop up um, with Wikipedia. So once again, we're in a panic and an uproar around AI and the uses of AI, specifically in writing essays. And many students have been using it far longer than what has now been brought to our attention. Um, I downloaded one of the AI uh, apps and I said, write me an essay on anti-racism. And child, do you know they have five full paragraphs on anti-racism? Now, none of the things were cited, but you know, if you had some context and you could go back to your course material, there is a sentence there. You can find a citation for that sentence. And I think that is what, what students are doing. So there's some questions that I think now are lingering here about how could faculty instructors continue to assign essays to measure student understanding or critical thinking and writing skills if a website can just generate in less than a minute that assignment. 
would chat GPT lead to an unstoppable wave of plagiarism? And was the college essay headed this way that, you know, now we don't have chalkboards and we don't use blue books? Actually, I, I did hear somebody still using a blue book, but that's another conversation. So Shauna, what are your thoughts on AI and academia? You know, I am one of those folks, we talk about this all the time, we joke, like if I were actually able and didn't have a four-year-old in in daycare that throws his whole body off of everything, I would leave my phone at home on silent the whole time. So I'm that kind of person. Yet and still, I'm not fearful. I just feel like I do believe in cursive writing. I still teach my kids how to write in cursive. I still am a manual writer. There is research that suggests that you're more inclined to remember information if you write it down with your hand because you use more uh, muscles uh, just to do that rather than to type. Still, I think we need to find new and innovative ways of doing things. If if writing has emerged in this way for some students, because I don't think all students will use chat GPT, then maybe what is really needing to be called into question is how come we haven't identified assignments that measure their learning in a way that better suits their needs. If they're running away from writing to the extent that they're downloading an app to have it right, right for them, that says to me or signals to me, maybe there's some people that are just shysty. More often than not, I think the folks that would lean towards uh, cheating in that way uh, have some kind of anxiety around writing. I just think that maybe we need to think more critically about how we are going about seeing how students are learning. And maybe this is an opportunity for us to find new ways to seek such measurements out. Somebody was making that, and I don't know if this is the exact point that you're making, Shana, but somebody was making the point on Twitter that, you know, think about what happened with calculators came about and people used to do them equations on that nice little piece of paper. And now obviously the machine can put it out. And to your point of now, like people can't fully think about, well, what do I think about this issue? How do I find sources that support that? And now have we gone away from the aspect of writing or now inducing more writing anxiety because I feel like I can't spit something out that I know something that something can spit out in, in a minute, right? Well, it's even that. And also like, what are we really trying to do here when we're teaching these courses? Like, are we really trying to help people think in new and innovative ways? Are we really trying to prepare our students for tomorrow and whatever tomorrow brings, meeting tomorrow's challenges with today's experiences and opportunities? Or are we trying to um, hold on to some traditional ideas of what writing should be or what talent is or how talent is negotiated by ways of writing. Like, I feel like some quote unquote purists here are just more upset that they feel like the art of writing is disappearing. And I don't think that's the case. I think maybe what we should be thinking about as we are um, opening up our doors more to diverse student populations, that not everybody is going to be a writer. Not everybody has been a writer this whole time. It just showed up more and maybe they weren't passing their classes to the same extent because we weren't being mindful that we weren't really truly being innovative in the classroom. We were doing the same thing over and over again with different kinds of people and expecting some similar outcomes. Outcomes. So all I'm saying is, you know, for those that are really skilled and talented at writing, we'll still maintain those avenues for those folks. But maybe there's some some inkling here that the ways we've been doing it this whole time, maybe it doesn't work for everybody. So wouldn't this be an opportunity for us to just 
think outside the box when it comes to measuring people's understandings and ability to create critical understandings of content. Point taken. Well, that's what's happening in these academic streets. So today we are welcoming Dr. Chris Salinas to Scholar T. We're so excited to have you, Chris. Dr. Salinas is Associate Professor in the Educational Leadership and Research Methodology Department at Florida Atlantic University. His research promotes access and equality in higher education and explores the social and political context of educational opportunities for historically marginalized communities. Please welcome Dr. Salinas. Hey, 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 welcome back. We are with Dr. Cristobal Salinas Jr., uh, who is stepping into the Scholar T streets. Cristobal has been like, season one, he was like, why didn't you interview me? Cristobal, your time has come. Welcome to Scholar T. How are you? Well, thank you for finally inviting me. I'm doing well, and I'm excited to be here with both of you. Uh, some people know that Cristobal is one of my dear, dear friends, not only in these academic streets, but in these life streets. So I'm so excited to share his brilliance with, with all of you. So thank you again for, for making time um, for us today, Chris. One of the questions that we have for you is everybody has this journey in academia. So could you talk to us about what originally drew you to pursue a career in the academy? Yes. And that question always makes me stop and think and reflect because I never thought I would be in the academy, right? And I have to go back to my own story or my positionality, as we call it in research, or my own journey. Uh, I grew up in Mexico and I moved to the United States uh, when I was in eighth grade. So automatically, just by that itself, I was not meant, in quotations, to be in uh, higher education, right? And that uh, story continued to be clear in some conversations with my K-12 teachers or middle school and high school teachers in high school. Uh, for example, I think a lot about my experiences in when I was trying to learn English and one of the first experiences that I remember that I had to learn very quickly was to advocate for myself because my, when I was in that, my history teacher uh, did not invite me to the eighth grade field trip. And as an eighth grade student, I was very hurt and, and you know, and I didn't know really what it meant, but I just knew I was in pain. And I remember my ESL teacher, Mrs. Moyer, and I give her so much credit for teaching me to advocate for myself and to speak up for myself, right? She went and asked my history teacher, why didn't you invite Chris? And because I was an ESL student, that's why I didn't get invited. So I think that it starts creating a, the story for me. I start making meaning of, I need to have more educators like Mrs. Moyer in order for me to be successful. Then I go to high school and I I remember very clearly when I was thinking about college or, you know, when the uh, college come and visit your high school, I was not invited to some of those uh, from my counselor. And I remember my counselor saying, well, you just can go to the community college uh, in the next town, right? Because you're not going to be successful in college because you're an ESL student. And nothing wrong with community colleges because I do work in community colleges. They do phenomenal work. They are a true or the most beautiful example of open access to higher education. Uh, but I think still the microaggression, the how people put us into boxes or push us into one direction rather than giving us options, 
right? And again, that was another example of how I needed teachers like Mrs. Moyer to advocate for me. And then of course I ran into Miss Miss, Miss J, uh, my science teacher, and she is the one that really believed on me and said to me, her and Spanish teacher, Mrs. Uh, Bomber said, you can be anything you want. If you want to be Mickey Mouse, you can be working uh, uh, in Disney, right? Uh, you can really be anything, but you have to go to college. And they are the ones that helped me write my scholarship applications and everything. I ended up at the University of Nebraska Kearney and so on. And I'll get to your question, Cameron, but I think there's something important here to share that when I went to the University of Nebraska uh, uh, Kearney, you know, I, I don't remember anything. I just remember driving by myself to college, moving myself and without my parents, but they really didn't have an understanding what was going on, right? I was just going to college. I was not expected to go to college, but I was going to college uh, and they were proud, uh, but they did not know how to support me or what to do. Then I get really involved. I've really been, uh, I have, have been very outgoing and involved. And then I run for student body president. And then I get a threat in that, in that experience that says, Chris, take your name off the ballot before you get hurt. We do not want a fact or Mexican a student body president. So that that is when my one of my best friends, Pat uh, Ackerman, and, and my VP and I decided to not to continue to promote ourselves. We didn't remove ourselves, but we didn't promote our names or we didn't do any campaign, right? Uh, but that experience was also significant for why I am in higher education because there are people that look like me and that sound like me that they has been no one that advocated for me. So now as an academic, as a researcher, um, as in, in, in the academy streets, as you say, I want to be the person for other people. Right. Uh, but I think that's the, the, the piece of why I'm here. Right. I never, but again, I never thought I would be here and I am here because I have had also amazing mentors, uh, amazing mentors and Cameron, uh, when we were at Iowa state, you were one of those mentors. And I remember very clearly that you told me multiple times or invited me to to read and write with you. And you will give me feedback in my writing and my thinking. Uh, and not only you, but also Aja Holmes, Lorraine, Malika, uh, Kathleen, Lisa, and so many other amazing scholars. So I am here because of you, because of your support, and of course, some amazing faculty and mentors that I haven't even mentioned yet. And I think um, having peer mentorship is really important and recognizing the importance of uh, multiple identities coming together to help us shape our understandings of who we are and also pushing us forward with our trajectories in mind, helping us to remind ourselves that we're also worthy, right? So thinking about that, how do you imagine your trajectory progressing given the contemporary social context that are currently existing at higher education, at the U.S. level, and maybe even globally? Oh, that's a hard question to answer right now. I think, you know, how do I imagine my trajectory progressing? And I think first, I hope that I continue to make an impact in my community through my research, through my teaching, and through my service. So I hope that I, I make people stop and think, right? And and that's what I value, right? When people read my work and they stop and think like, wait, what am I doing? Or they learn something new. It's like my research is art. And that's what I value when people stop and think. So, uh, you know, I, I never thought, I would, again, I would be here in the academy, right? And my experiences have shaped me to be here, have shaped me to do that research that I do. So what's in my trajectory? What's next, given the current climate or given the current contemporary issues that we're seeing and facing is that I hope that I continue to be there for my community, like many of them have been there for me, but also I hope that I can speak for those that oftentimes are silenced, 
And that is one of the things that I have learned through this process, right? That now that I have more privilege or power within the academy, I hope that I continue to elevate others along with me. Um, but, you know, it's hard for me to think what's next or how to do this because I never thought that my research would be highlighted, quoted. I mean, Cameron and Kathleen said my work has been quoted in Good Morning America. We have other work on my research on the term Latinx has been highlighted in multiple out national outlets that I never thought that was going to happen. So, but I hope that my research continues to make an impact because when I'm making an impact in that way, I can also make an impact, hopefully at a more personal level with others. And since we're talking about your work, first of all, really thinking about the nuancing, the complexing, the X, this work that you've done on the term Latinx and the meaning of Latinx and the etymology and the history of the term Latinx, I think is contributing something to how we understand language and race in, in this time and in context. So can you talk us through what you want people to take away from your research of nuancing and, and thinking about the complexities of of the X and Latinx? Yes. Uh, first, I am not against the X. I'm for the X. Well, one of the first misunderstandings that people have about my research, and it, one, it makes me believe that they don't read my work or they make us, they're making assumptions, or maybe I did a better job at explaining that in my work, right? No, the, the people don't read. The people read the headline. <laughs> they barely read the abstract. Okay. Yeah, someone cited it, so we cited it too, right? So that's one thing that I'm not against the X. Actually, I'm very for the X. Through the understanding that I'm for the X, I had to do a lot of self-understanding and research and how other people understand it, right? So I have to give a lot of credit to my co-author, Adele Lozano, who also went to Iowa State, uh, who is now faculty at University of Wisconsin-La Crosse, who has helped me shape my thinking on that, right? Back then in 20. 15 or 2016, we were at NASPA and someone called us Latinx and we're like, what, what is Latinx? We did not know. I never seen, heard that term. It's in the term until NASPA, uh, right? So we talked about it. Our research started to focus what is Latinx, not who is Latinx. And at the time, in our first article, we said that Latinx is inclusive of all. But again, it's the same narrative that we keep seeing back then in literature review and conversations in different spaces. And then later on, I decided to do a research on Latino, Latina, Latinx students, right? Like I wanted to understand how they make meaning because we were giving people this term and people were adapting it, right? Nothing wrong with it, but I really wanted to understand what does it mean? And why were people calling me Latinx when I never been Latinx? So in my latest work critique, or I, we critiqued our earlier work that Latinx is inclusive of all, right? Because when we engage with people that, that speak different languages beyond English and Spanish, right? Where do they fall in? Because all the arguments that we have made are based on the two mainstream languages, uh, English and Spanish in the United States. But what happens to all the other Latinos that speak other languages, right? And for example, if we look at our K2, in, the, in our, in our K-12 system, uh, although English and Spanish are the main languages spoken, our Latino students speak over 400 languages in the United States, right? Now, when we look outside of the United States, that it's that goes broader. Then part two, I think when we engage with people from other indigenous communities, that's when they said, don't call me Latinx because my indigenous community doesn't have an X, right? So it really makes you stop and think then, who am I being inclusive of? Um, and then we moved on into, when I moved on, we, when we interviewed trans or we, we engaged with trans Latino men or like trans Latina women, they said, don't call me Latinx because the X is erasing my gender, right? So that's when really I came to understand that Latinx is a third space, right? It's a third space for people who 
do not identify with a gender binary. But I think there's there's something else powerful about that, that term Latinx as an identity that it brings us together as a community. That we, for the most part, people know when to use it and when not to use it uh, because it does bring us together. Uh, we are seeing what is happening politically. You know, both parties, the Democrat and the Republican Party, have politicized the term because they know they are losing votes every time they do the term Latinx, right? We can speak about businesses, uh, how they are losing contracts from Hispanic Latino communities, uh, how some colleges and universities are losing the Latino Hispanic engagement and some activities because they're using the term Latinx. Uh, and there's a lot of conversations going on. Uh, uh, but I think. We need to use the term Latinx, and I'm for that term Latinx or that identity, right? Like we need to use it when it's for gender non-conforming people or, or right, not for cisgender people, because we already have a gender. So one of the things that I keep hearing, and, and uh, now we have enough data that truly self-identified Latinx people are saying, I no, I no longer call myself Latinx because you all cisgender people took that term from me, right? So it's being readapted again. Uh, so. So that's one of the things that I think about my research. You know, uh, I, I also introduced the term Latin asterisk, right? And it is not an identity. People have said that I'm Latin asterisk. That's my identity. I would never call anyone Latin asterisk, but it is a way to help us stop and think how other, how we are identifying others, not how we self-identified, because I think people know our, their identities, but how are you labeling others? Uh, and also it, it is... Um, a way to disrupt the, the oppression of technology. When you use the asterisks in, in coding, it disrupts the whole system. When you do any, uh, use the Latin asterisks in a Google, in a search, it will bring you all the, the terms uh, uh, used, Latino, Latina, Latine, Latini, Latinu, uh, uh, and so on. But also we are seeing how the Latine, it's a new term that's being used. And one of my, my, my arguments in my work is that because the term Latinx is being seen as a USA-centric term. So Latin is another term that is being used, uh, right? But also I have seen Latini, Latinu, the new term, the new meaning, and I think it's very powerful, that Latinu with a U at the end for undisclosed. Who are you for me to disclose my gender, right? So I think there's a lot of conversations going on uh, with linguistics, uh, religion, people with disabilities. I mean, not only in that national level, but international. It's The conversation is happening in other uh, parts of the, the world too. Well, it sounds like you're really transforming the landscape around identity and culture and understanding in higher education. So that's really powerful. And in thinking about all that work and that uplift, in what ways are you choosing yourself? You know, I have learned and I'm learning, I'm still learning. It's a learning process, right? To choose myself, um, making sure that I go up, get up in the morning, go for a run or go to the gym, right? And that's one way that I have uh, I have chosen to to choose in myself, but also spend time with my loved ones, uh, right? Because uh, I think the academy will take a lot from us, will ask for a lot of us and, and so on. So that's a, a one way that I think about it. But now the other thing that I'm, you know, I've never been a watch TV person, but now I'm trying to watch a little bit more series on TV. But um, I think the other thing that I'm learning about myself through this process is that there's something significant about the research, but I have to make meaning of it or what it means to me, right? 
And that connection that I come back to is like something spiritual. There's something else to it. And not, I don't speak about religion. There's something about it that really fulfills me every time I do good research, right? I do good work that people read it. So that, that fulfills me. But I have, cho- like, uh, I guess to get back to your question, because I can get off track really easily, uh, off topic. I, after the pandemic or during the pandemic and after the pandemic, I chose not to go to as many conferences because it was very tiring, right? Uh, with all the traveling, with all, uh, when I'm getting invited, which I'm very lucky and privileged to get invited to speak at different places, but I chose not to go to conferences for two years. Uh, and that was a simple way by, by, by saying like Latin asterisks, like the asterisks stop and think about what's next for you, Chris. So I haven't, I have tried to invest more time with, uh, in my relationships personally and professionally, right? Um, the relationships that I feel like I have missed a lot. And that includes going back home more to see my family, uh, spending more time with my parents. Uh, so that's one, a simple way that uh, uh, that uh, I have done to take care of me. Well, Chris, Dr. Salinas, thank you for your time. Thank you for your energy. Thank you for your brilliance. We like to do one final thing to kind of wrap up our time with you we call that the lightning round it's kind of like a this or that it's forced choice chris so you're gonna have to make sure that you pick one you can't him and haw you can't sit on the fence you have to pick one and stick with it all right no explanations right (laughs) none well if you if you want to give a little commercial of why you chose you know anyways so hot sauce or Tabasco sauce? There's so, oh, homemade hot sauce. Florida or Nebraska? I'm thinking. <laughs> you got to pick one. Florida, winters. <laughs> Both the governors suck. Uh, Taco Bell or Taco John's? Ooh, Taco John's. <laughs> That's how Taco Tuesday came from. It came from, from Taco John's. Come on, educate the people. That the same uh, Taco Tuesday can't, comes from Taco John's. Huh. Ashe or A-E-R-A? Ash or A-E-R-A? Um, Ash. Beyonce or Salinas? Salina. <laughs> Anything for Salinas. Right. <laughs> well, my friend, I love you dearly. I love you deeply. I thank you so much. Uh, without you, there would be no me. So thank you for, for, for who you are and what you offer to the world. Thank you for all you've given me and for our your friendship love you mean it bye well i just love my brother my brother friend my brother scholar dr salinas he talks fast don't he but uh he'd mm. be getting them points and them gems dropped okay i i've always enjoyed being around chris just a breath of fresh air so why don't we talk about what's problematic you ready for what's problematic shana I don't know. Because I want to get your thoughts, okay? I need you to join me in my rant of what's problematic. And this is also something I saw on Twitter this past week. So, you know, it might have faded into the abyss by the time this episode drops, but we're going to raise it back up. So one of the things that somebody raised on Twitter was calling out white scholars who marry people of color with quote unquote ethnic names and then go and apply for fellowships, scholarships, or grants that are specifically for people of color or for the outcomes of advancing racial equity and justice, and then are awarded those grants, fellowships, scholarships. Um, And people on Twitter were saying that it's then taking away from people of color. And there are some ways uh, being an imposter or trying to be adjacent to the plight of 
of people of color because you're married to someone or your last name has now been taken on, but that's not your lived reality when you show up in the world. So that's what's problematic, you know, for, for me when thinking about this. And there's people then in the thread went and gave plenty of examples of, uh, you know, who gives a minority scholarship? Ford, the Foot Fellowship is a fo- what used to be Ford. Mm-hmm. Or Spencer. Um, yeah, so for, they, people gave examples of past awardees of Ford and Spencer scholarships that had hyphenated last names uh, that could be presumed or assumed to be ethnic. So Shauna, what do you think about that and, and how that might be problematic? Well, I'd like to boomerang out and then we can come back to some of the obvious thoughts. I also just have some response or reaction to um, folks giving awards based upon what might seemingly be someone's name or making assumptions around uh, the name of someone as quote unquote ethnic um, as someone whose name Shauna Patterson at birth, right? So I, I think the other piece to this is uh, why was there an assumption that this person was minoritized mm. solely because of their name? Mm. Come on, come on, assumptions, mm. bias, and prejudices. Okay. All of that, all of that. But you know, the Rachel Dolgels to walk amongst us. And uh, there's something to be said about someone that has the audacity to feel like they are solely in proximity to a culture because they have married into it. And the, <laughs> the continued audacity of then seeking out awards, grantsmanship, uh, scholarships that are attached to funding because of the understanding that there will be assumptions based upon your name, even though that is not your lived experience. Ooh, audacity, honey. The audacity. Mm-hmm. Imposter. Well, that's what's problematic this week. Ready for these jokes. Give them to me. Give them to me. Give them to me. <laughs> I'm a little scared. I don't know. They might be a little weak this time. Let's it's see what okay. happens. It's okay, honey. They're going to be for somebody. That's all that matters. Uh, well, there's somebody for everybody. So this one is a, a revival. We'll see how this goes today. What do you call a dinosaur that's a hip hop artist and has a beautiful family? Dinosaur. Oh, there's so much going on. Dinosaur, hip hop artist, beautiful family. Chance the Raptor. <laughs> okay. There was a lot going on there, but it all came <laughs> together in the end. What did Michael Jackson call his denim store? Billy Jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Not my love. How do billboards talk? Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. How do billboards talk? How do they talk? Sign language. Sign language. Oh, that's clever. Right? Okay. I didn't want it to sound like ableist. I think think someone would appreciate that. That signs. Because I do care about that. So what do dinosaurs use to pay bills? Child, you on these dinosaurs today. What they use? Kingsley loves dinosaurs. (laughs) Tyrannosaurus checks. Okay. That one wasn't as clever, but okay. Uh, Tyrannosaurus checks. Whatever. <laughs> what rapper is in? <laughs> we got more. Okay. I always have five. <laughs> Get on my nerves. Got me stuttering. That what chance rapper? the rapper one should have counted as two because that was a long one. But go ahead. No, I got another rapper one. <laughs> uh, I love my rappers. Uh, what rapper is in a toolbox? I don't know. Plies. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how my auntie say them, honey. Bring them plies over here. Okay. Plies. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So Shauna, today I want to affirm, but also offer a celebration. And the celebration is for one of my students who is graduating or grad- will be graduated by the time the episode drops. That is McKenna Campbell Hutz. And McKenna gave me a gift. And I'm going to hold the gift up so Shauna can see it. But it is a journal. And on the journal is a quick little poem that if you would indulge me, I think can be our affirmation for today. And it's from Danielle Coke. And Danielle has a list of wonderful stationery at Target. Danielle is also a Black woman. You are created to do good work. Work that empowers and inspires, liberates and transforms, restores and softens. Yes, work can be hard as it was meant to be. The verb itself calls us into action, rejecting passivity and demanding sustained effort. It provokes, agitates, and disturbs. But this work, the call for justice, is good work. It defends the oppressed and frees the captive. It tears down walls and destroys barriers. It changes things. So when you're feeling weary or hopeless, or spent, remind yourself that the darkness is being flooded by marvelous light. Yes, this is work and it is good. Danielle Coke. Isn't it good? Marvelous light. Thank you to McKenna for thinking of me as, as you know, when people give you gifts and Shana, oh, shout out to Shana. You gave me a beautiful gift from South Africa. I should say gifts, plural. They are so wonderful. I got them framed. I put Mm. them in my office. So thank you for my gifts from South Africa. You're welcome. Um, you can frame that uh, Beyonce magazine from London as well. It's in her own scrapbook, honey. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ask that you enter into the rest of your week with marvelous light, uh, because there's obviously going to be times of darkness and let you be the light that shines bright because somebody needs to see it. That is Scholar Tea this week. We are two scholars giving you the tea. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Take care. Take care.